It's episode 945 of the Roadman Podcast. It's Friday and Sarah's here again for newbie questions. He had been up all night chasing young ones <laughs> <laughs> around the hotel corridors because they were I'm making sure noise. That's exactly how it happened, but let's just say that's how it happened. But what's happening, because people don't like doing hard work, is they're skipping the hard work and they're just doing the 1% stuff. And they're not doing the basic stuff like moving, sleeping eight hours a night, calorie restriction or calorie control, and riding your bike, running, lifting weights. People have this magic maths they do all the time where you ask them their watts per kilogram and they give you the weight that they hope they could get to and the power that (laughs) they could hit at their best. Before we get into today's episode, I have some exciting news to share with you. It's been a game changer recently for me, making a marked difference in my performance, especially when it comes to my sleep. Let me introduce you to Pillar. Pillar is a company that's on a mission to fuse pharmaceutical precision with sports supplementation for athletes just like us. Okay, so we're all familiar with electrolytes and carbohydrates in our race preparation, but Pillar's taking a different route. It's focusing on something called micronutrition. It ensures you're ready to perform even before you hit the start line. It's all about promoting a good night's sleep. It's facilitating effective recovery and replenishing those critical micronutrients so you can perform at your best. Over the past month, I've been incorporating Pillar's triple magnesium into my routine. Every night, I take it 30 minutes before bed, and I've seen a remarkable improvement in my sleep quality. You'll know that I'm back using a Whoop device tracking my sleep, and the results of that improvement are there in black and white. I've had about a 10% bump in my restorative sleep since I started taking Pillar. I'm waking up, feeling refreshed every morning, ready to attack work, podcast, training, and just the next day in general. But don't just take my word for this. Try it, and let the data on your fitness tracker tell you the story. So if you're ready to elevate your performance and your sleep quality, why not give Pillar a try? Head over to pillarperformance.shop and use the code ROADMAN on your local website for 15% off your first order. Or for US listeners, head over to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and use the code ROADMAN for the same 15% off your first order. The details of both of these are in today's show notes. Now let's get into the show. Sarah, welcome back. It's good to be back. It's different today. Our first ever video newbie questions. Yeah, I'm not in my pajamas. Are you (laughs) nervous? I am a little bit nervous, actually, yeah. (laughs) We've been doing newbie questions for, I guess, almost... 18 months, maybe a little bit longer. So I kind of felt like very comfortable recording it that way. But now I've got this like three big cameras in my face here and lights everywhere. So <laughs> it's been a busy week in yes. the news, maybe not all for good reasons. And the first couple of stories that I want to talk about actually are quite horrific. Ron Dennis has reportedly been charged by police with causing the death of his wife after she was hit by a car last week. Are you following this story? Yeah, it's been very sad. I mean, we woke up to that news a couple of mornings ago in utter disbelief that this could happen. Ron Dennis is such a massive star in cycling as well. Anyone that follows cycling will know him. And his wife is also a star in her own right. She's a track star. Former world junior champion, not just track star, former world junior champion and world champion in the team pursuit. She's loaded podiums in team time trial world championships as well. Melissa Dennis Nee Hoskins. 
really sad story. It's very sad because they have two young kids. So this is just awful. It said that basically a man, which is Rowan Dennis, was arrested and charged with causing death by dangerous driving, driving without due care and endangering life. And he's been released on bail until March. And I'm sure all of the kind of proceedings will go forward from there. But one of the craziest things is, did you see their Instagram post from like two, three days before the death of Melissa? And it's a happy Christmas message from our family to yours. It just shows you how fast something can go totally awry. Totally change. And the kids, their smiles, like it's such a magical time. I would say they're very young. They're definitely kind of Santi age. And they just look so happy and smiling. And yeah, as you said, their life has turned upside down now. So we'll definitely be watching this one with interest. I don't know. It's kind of like the the gravel, the murder that happened a couple of months ago, Mo Wilson. Oh, the Colin Strickland case. You know, yeah. I'm not into following them that much. I know yeah. you're like really into following your murder mystery stuff. And then this is like the Venn diagram where a murder mystery intersects with cycling and you're like, okay, I got to follow this. Yeah, I do and I don't. I think this is a bit too close to home, actually. Even with the Mo Wilson one, it felt a little bit like voyeurism. I think the murder mystery that I listened to, you know, it's in some bad end of Texas that no one's ever been to. <laughs> everyone, everyone has one tooth and it's like, you know, that kind of shenanigans. So this just feels a little bit closer to home. But yeah, absolutely horrific and very, very sad news. And there was more drama with another very well-known cyclist this week with Matthew Vanderpoel getting in trouble again. Matthew Vanderpoel didn't get in trouble. This is the weird thing with this story. I thought it was disgusting. Vanderpoel didn't get in any grief for this, from what I can see from any of the media outlets. Vanderpoel, the fans took a lot of grief for it. The fans were drunk and they were giving Vanderpoel abuse and they were booing. And Vanderpoel spat at the fans going past for that. It's pretty disgusting. I don't care what the fans are saying. I don't think that justifies spitting at them. It's an absolutely revolting thing to do, to spit at somebody. I just think that is the lowest of the low. Vanderpoel seems to get himself, I think he's got a little bit of a temper. I mean, we all remember what happened in Australia for the world last year. He essentially DNF'd. The, or did he show up? I can't remember. I think he started and climbed off like pretty... He climbed off early, yeah. Days. He had been up all night chasing young ones <laughs> <laughs> around the hotel corridors because they were I'm making sure noise. that's exactly how it happened, but let's just say that's how it happened. <laughs> and basically he had spent the entire night, you know, getting himself into trouble, showed up for the worlds the next day and was absolutely exhausted. So he, I think he might suffer a little bit from the red mist. He's not as temperate as See, he looks people. very clean cut. He does. That's why yeah. I don't think he gets the sort of bad boy press that yeah. maybe Sagan got in the last few years. I think people should have come down a little bit heavier on him. I think to spit at anybody, especially fans, if you're going to be doing racing, you're going to come up from a bit of kind of grief, booing, Especially drunken fans. Cyclocross. It's Cyclocross is famous for everybody being really rowdy. So yeah, I think he's definitely kind of gone down a little bit in my estimation. Before we jump into the questions, did you see any of Strava art to finish out 2023? Oh my God. I just think this is absolutely brilliant. I know you're going to be like, oh my God, people have too much time. Oh, I just hands. think they're all fake. <laughs> you think they're all think fake? they're all fake. Like the what? one with the lion, it's insane. It's like uh, the Legion head or something. And it clearly has to be done by a drone. I just don't know how any of these are real. Are real. Like oh, how would somebody skeptic. do that? I'm sure Strava have some way of 
checking these. Well, I just, but it's also just a little bit of... Duct tape my garment with drone and then fly these routes. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of fun as well. I mean, I know that the biggest one that they did this year was a um, father and daughter in France. So they broke the Guinness World Records for the biggest Strava art. And it basically took up a massive portion of France and they did it in the shape of a heart and they managed to raise loads of money for a brilliant, brilliant cause. So that was kind of a simple one. I'm sure that was all very legit. There are some really intricate ones, right? There was one in London I had a look at and it's a giraffe. <laughs> did you see that one? I've seen it, yeah. It's literally gas. The way they did the tail... They had to go like, what, 15 miles out one end to do the tail and then just a series of left, right, left, right, left, right. It must have been the most tedious, boring. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm sceptical of the whole lot. <laughs> I think they're absolutely brilliant. I think they're so much fun. There was another one that kind of caught my eye and that was this huge big heron and I was like that's out in the middle of the sea what's what's the story with that it's a drone it's not a drone apparently it was a guy on a kayak so I think chapeau I think they're absolutely beautiful keep going let's keep start going. the new year with some questions what have you got for me this week Okay, so question number one, and this is from at Evan Dean. Anthony, would you consider yourself a Huberman husband? You seem to have all of the symptoms. Not that I think that it's a bad thing, but it is all just a bit of faff to add to an already hectic world and days. Should we not be focused on the bigger health and training stuff? Huberman husband. What is, what's a Huberman husband? <laughs> okay, I haven't heard this term. So Huberman husband is basically somebody who is a disciple of Andrew Huberman. Now, Andrew Huberman, he's a podcast host, but he's not just a podcast host. He's got a lot of kudos. He's actually a neuroscientist at Stanford School of Medicine. And his podcast really is kind of like self-help but it's very much rooted in science. So he really knows what he's talking about. And he kind of breaks down complicated science jargon to more kind of accessible bite-sized language for people. I think that's why he got so, so popular. So he launched his podcast years ago, but it became huge in 2021. So that was kind of smack in the middle of the pandemic when people really, you know, started to have like more of a focus on their health. Well, a lot of people did. I actually remember a funny guest that you had a few months ago, Anthony, I think it was Cynthia Thurlow. And she said, there was three types of people in the pandemic. You either became a hunk, a drunk, or a chunk. <laughs> so these hunks, everyone who became a hunk, became obsessed with Andrew Huberman. And I do think it's kind of men of a certain age that follow Andrew Huberman and you know, so this they is do someone who's into does. ice baths, saunas, yeah, yeah. intermittent fasting. Taping your mouth, nose breathing, uh, kind of, you know, cutting down on alcohol. So what is the question? Would I consider myself <laughs> a Huberman husband? Like, no, no. Well, I'm not a huge Andrew Huberman fan. I suppose that's something that you need a precondition to being a Huberman husband to be a Huberman fan. I don't know. I think he... I, I find stuff a bit boring. Do you really? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think he, he does a very deep dive into everything. I think if you could... So I'm thing, more of a surface level. surface level. <laughs> yeah, I can't I do think, the deep dive stuff. I think stuff. what's brilliant about the Huberman stuff is most of these hacks, it's essentially biohacking. That's been around for a good while. But most of the hacks that he kind of promotes, you can do for free. So it's not like he's trying to, yeah, I'm sure he has su supplements or whatever. He's probably, you know, selling or sponsors. But most of the hacks that he promotes are free. And he really gets down into the nitty gritty of There's a whole band of people where it's Chris Williamson, Huberman, Peter Atiyah, 
Rhonda Patrick, Dr. Rhonda yes. Patrick. There's a bunch of scientists that are all super credible, but they're all on this kick now where they're talking about stuff that athletes have known for decades. Like when I started training from cycling, like you very soon realized that about 80% of your training has to be zone two riding. And now it's like all over YouTube, there's these like zone two training and the miracle of zone two training. It's like, ask any cat four rider anywhere in the world and they'll tell you they've been doing it for a decade. Like same with VO2 max training. They're talking about it now as if these are new discoveries. So why I'm not that into the Huberman husband type stuff is that it's it's kind of like Dave Brailsford's quest for marginal gains, which is absolutely brilliant when you have an athlete who's doing the 99% of stuff already and then they're trying to unearth an extra 1% to get a gain. But what's happening, because people don't like doing hard work, is they're skipping the hard work and they're just doing the 1% stuff. So they're just sleeping in, you know, eight sleep pods or trying to optimize their evening or morning routines. And they're not doing the basic stuff like moving, sleeping eight hours a night, calorie restriction or calorie control and riding your bike, running, lifting weights, whatever you need to do. Like there's no disagreement in academic circles. You need to do some combination of cardio and strength training. But it's revolutionary all of a sudden because Huberman and a few others are advocating. Well, they have a platform and I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think that men are now taking control of their health and their lifestyle. And I don't know, I think it's It is good, great, but you can't short circuit the like, basic reality of any sport to get good at it. You need to put a lot of unglamorous hard work in. And I don't know, I think they paper over that. So, like if I done a video say like, yeah, you want to get good at title and ride, 20 hours a week, every week for 10 years. It's not going to blow up. It's not going to be popular. (laughs) Roadman, I know how serious you take your goal setting, whether they're fitness or life-related goals. If you're looking for a powerful ally to support you on this journey, look no further than Huel. Huel has become my secret weapon for when I don't have time to prepare a balanced meal, ensuring I get the nutrition I need without sacrificing time or taste. Plus, it stops me from reaching for the takeaway menu. I always throw a bottle into my backpack when I'm heading into the city to work, and it stops me eating croissants and junk food, you know, just generally stuff that don't support my training goals. It's handy and it's nutritious, and it's over 22 grams of protein. Huel's perfect for athletes who don't have time to cook or prepare food before a training session. It's convenient, nutritious fuel at your fingertips, ensuring you hit your daily fueling needs for your session. Huel Ready to Drink has over 26 vitamins and minerals in every single bottle. You're getting a whopping 175 health benefits. Plus, they're all natural ingredients, stuff like topeka, sunflower seed, coconut, and more. And the best part, the flavors are amazing. Eight mouth-watering flavors. Iced coffee is in my backpack at the moment. You can get your hands on Huel Ready to Drink directly to your home just by going to huel.com forward slash roadman. That's huel, H-U-E-L dot com forward slash roadman. Okay, question number two, and this is from Jamie. Anthony, I heard you talking about block periodization in the Alexander Boo episode of the podcast. I've always structured my training as three weeks on and one week off, but you both seemed to suggest this is not the smartest approach. What would you suggest instead? This is a really interesting topic because for a long time, I've had Joe Friel on the podcast a bunch of times and I came up reading Joe Friel's training Bible as kind of 
my Bible. It wasn't a training Bible. It was my holy Bible. There's, I mean, there's a copy in there and or a couple of copies of each edition. And yeah, I know it's I, I love it. <laughs> pride of place. And he advocates a system of three weeks where you're like week one, week two, you build on that. Week three, you build on that. And week four, you decompress. And I think that does work for some people. But if you think about your training there, so we're trying to plan your training at the moment. If we look at your calendar for the year, Three weeks on, one week off isn't the reality because we look at it and you go, okay, I'm going to a wedding in May. I'm going away for a week here. I have some family obligations here. I'm getting a medical procedure here. So you start dotting in the periods of time where you're going to be away for a week and off for a week. And then it just doesn't make sense to really do three weeks on, one week off because you could have three weeks on, one week off, and then you're off the next week because you have to travel for work. So. The reality is it ends up being six weeks on, one week off. And when I say off, I don't mean off. It's like a decompression week. But myself and Alexander Boo, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that podcast. It's brilliant. It will be coming to YouTube really soon as well. We talk about if you need a full decompression week in your fourth week, you've structured your training badly in your prior three weeks, that you've done too much. That If you're looking at a system where to make an adaptation, you're trying to take on as much load as you can over a long period of time, you'd be better off dialing it back 5% for the three weeks and then being able to still train in the fourth week. This is kind of a realization that I had that if I go and I do a six-hour ride on a Saturday, maybe I can only like ride an hour on a Sunday. I can't even ride on a Sunday. You'd be better off just doing like a four and a two. The three-week block and the one-week break though does kind of it gives you a little bit of hope because <laughs> you're like, okay, I've got three weeks of suck and then I've got, you know, a week where I can actually go out maybe and enjoy the bike and do a few fun rides. Enjoy and... every ride. <laughs> oh God. That's not a thing, is it? <laughs> question That's three. news to me. Okay, question number three, and this is from Connor. Anthony and Sarah, I joined the virtual time trial yesterday. <laughs> it w- <laughs> I saw Connor's name there. It was a disaster. I went out too hard, I guess, and a kilometre eight, I was using every trick in the book to keep my power up. What are these tricks? Oh, I need to know I, them. I use these. <laughs> Tell me them. So you you change your cadence. So, sorry, Connor goes on to say, i.e. super slow cadence with a high power, then a high cadence, then standing up on the pedals and rocking. I just blew and I DNF'd. My FTP is 245. That was a few months ago and I've been tipping away over the winter break, but nothing major. Anthony, can you give me a pacing strategy for that 16 kilometer time trial? Also a mindset strategy to keep going when the going gets tough. We've got a lot of questions in about the time trial since we started it with people coming on. And what I did notice yesterday, because I usually do the Tuesday time trial, I've documented it actually in a podcast too, is that we'll have a lot of people join and then we'll have probably about 50% actually go over the DNF. DNF, yeah. And about 50% get over the finish line. So my advice, sorry, Anthony, you can jump in in a second, is to finish it regardless. So even if you're, you've absolutely blown just keep pedaling until you complete the 16 kilometers it can only get better the following week when you do that the one thing that helped me last week was to pace I just set my gearing on the watt bike and then I just kept my cadence at the exact same I didn't even look at the power I got it to the power I wanted and then I just kept my cadence at 85 and I was like right if I keep my cadence at 85 my power is really going to be the same yet in the my whoosh platform there's a little bit of undulation but you'll be there thereabouts with your power and that for me was kind of good to focus on 
I think Connor's biggest problem is his FTP is 245 and that was a few months ago. So he went out with a pacing strategy based off what he could do a few months ago. And people have this magic maths they do all the time where yeah. you ask them their watts per kilogram and they give you the weight that they hope they could get to and the power that <laughs> they could hit at their best. So you end up then having a pacing strategy which isn't realistic. And the parameter, it's like clipping into a lie detector. So then you have two worlds colliding, your fictitious world versus the reality. And that never ends well. A nice way to do it, if you currently had a 245 FTP, and again, depending on his interpretation of FTP, is that a power he achieved for 20 minutes or is that something he done for an hour? Let's say he could do that for 20 minutes. His 20-minute power is 245. So if his 20-minute power is 245, the 16 kilometers, I would break it down into four four-kilometer segments. I would start slow, as in I would start maybe at 235 and try and add five watts every four kilometers onto that. You really want to be considering your life choices pretty hard heading into the last four kilometers. If you're still at that point going, ah, this is cruisy, I don't feel much, you probably haven't paced it hard enough. If you're considering your life choices 8K in, you've gone out way too hard. All the fastest times I've seen in time trials, they're negative splits. So you're starting out easier and you're building. It's really difficult to start out at 260 and to finish at 230 and still have the same type of time. Also, psychologically, there's something about building towards the finish. Last year, I was doing a 16-kilometer time trial every week, and I was in around 400 watts for those 16-kilometer time trials. You're showing off now. And <laughs> I wish. I was getting <laughs> smashed by the lads I was doing. My average has been 220 for the 30 minutes. But that's still solid. Uh, yeah. It's all about, you can't compare your chapter one to someone's chapter 10. Like, I was racing a friend of mine in Canada, Ed Veal, every week, and I, I couldn't be Ed. Ed was averaging 420 on his. Now, we were probably both lying about our weight. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Ed would lie about his weight. He's a stand-up guy. I can see you doing it, all right. <laughs> Next question. But he, just before you move on, we want some mindset strategy to keep going when the going get, gets tough There's no tough mindset strategy. Like, there's no mindset. If you I pace it wrong, there's no mindset strategy in there. You can do all the maths you want and try and you know, read the letters backwards on the shampoo bottle that's on the shelf across <laughs> from you and all this distraction mats to try and, and there is some science in that kind of distraction mats and there's brain games and brain training you can do to pass the time. But honestly, if you've paced it wrong, you've paced it wrong. You can't trick your body into pulling out a performance that you're not capable of doing. So what I will say that really helped me get through my time trial that I, previous one that I did is I wanted to give up so hard myself at around kilometre 10 and I literally just dig deep and I'm kind of thinking, why am I here? I have big goals for this year. I'm unfit after Christmas. I had a nice break over winter and why not just man up, just do it, just push through and keep going because I have more in me and if I give up now, I'm just selling myself short and I honestly have that talk with myself probably every every 10 seconds during it. So that's my advice to you, Connor. Hopefully. I also think there's like a bit of standards in it as well. If yeah. your standard is you just don't quit. Yeah. I don't think I've ever quit an effort like that. So it never feels like an option that I can quit the effort. So that's just your standard. You don't quit an effort. And then you do some good efforts. You do some bad efforts, some efforts when you're sick, some when you have a headache, some when you're hungover. You just do the efforts and you just do the reps. And when you zoom out 12 months from now, they add up. 
That's why I implore you, Connor, don't DNF. Just keep going for the rest of the ride. And I will see you there again on Tuesday. Okay, question number four. The Rock was on Joe Rogan recently and they talked about training every day. Does the body not need rest days? I've always taken at least a couple of days a week off. That's a brilliant question because they have this like big culture now, isn't it? Of like, you know, no Graph, days off. No days off. Yeah, get it done. You don't be a pussy if you're, you know, taking time off and stuff. I don't know. Is that the right approach, Anthony? I, I like the training every day. I had a French director, and he used to say, "Ride your bike seven days a week," because your body gets used to having consistent signals that you get on the bike, and your body's like, "Yeah, this is what we do. We cycle every single day. Some easy days, some hard days. A day off. You know, you could put that in inverted commas. I hope people use those quotation marks." <laughs> A day off could be you ride your bike or you go for a run, but it's a super easy run. It's like 45% of your max heart rate and you're just cruising for a coffee. It doesn't have to feel laborious. It doesn't have to have the association of training with it. The problem I have when I take a day off and definitely when I take two days off back to back is I feel terrible when I get back into it. I really struggle to get back into the swing of things. And that's from a performance perspective. Like um, I don't feel good on the bike. I don't feel good on the run. I just feel blocked. But it's also a momentum perspective. Big fan that momentum, it goes in both directions. So when you're training every single day, momentum is with you. You know where your heart rate strap is. You know where your, you know, your kit is. Everything's just, you're coming home from a session. You're putting it into the wash. You're getting going again. You're meal prepping. When you take one or two days off, the momentum's gone the other direction. And then it takes you like two hours and you're walking around the house, smashing things, going, I can't find my leftover <laughs> shoe. And it's a nightmare trying True to get story. back into it again. Happens all of the time here. So I think there Tantrums. is there is something to be said with training seven days a week, but not seven hard sessions per week. We've been so happy to have Silka on board as one of our sponsors this year. For those of you who might not know, Silka offer the best in the game bike accessories like tools, pumps, plus all your everyday bike maintenance kit like chain wax and sealant. They have a true commitment to creating products that are the highest quality and even manage to make everyday bike accessories, well, beautiful. I have their foot pump here and instead of shoving it in the press after I'm finished using it, it sits with pride of place in the studio. It's a work of art. It's so cool. So if you want to spoil yourself or another cyclist in your life this Christmas, they have so many great gift ideas. And as a Roadman listener, you get a 13% discount on all Silka products. Just use the code ROADMAN13 at checkout. Not only does this get you a fantastic deal, but it also lets Silka know that sponsoring this podcast is valuable. Whether you're shopping for a gift or treating yourself, Silka has something for every cyclist who hates throwaway culture and loves quality. So check them out and don't forget to use the code ROADMAN13 for 13% off your purchase. The code and link are in the show notes below. Okay, question number five. Anthony, I saw your tweet about how there will be loads of new people out running, cycling and in the gym this January and instead of judging them to encourage them. That's me. I'm that new person on the bike path and I'm not sure if I'm actually being judged, but I feel like I am. I definitely don't have an athlete's body. I would be considered obese and I can feel eyes burning into me when I'm out training. I guess I just kind of feel vulnerable and exposed out there. It almost feels like being 
back in the schoolyard. Any tips for dealing with this and tips for getting through the next year and staying focused? I think it might feel like people are looking at you and judging you, but they definitely aren't. Everyone is so wrapped up in their own shit. And this is something I actually never had to learn so much in cycling. I was self-conscious at the start in cycling. When I started wearing Lycra kit, going out training, nobody cycled. You know, you go out now and everybody's on the bike pass. There's people down the local bike shop, the coffee shop wearing cycling kit. When I started like 10, 15 years ago, I didn't know another single person that rode a bike. So all my friends were football players. So I used to pull football shorts over my cycling leggings and then like take off the cycling shorts when I got out the countryside where I knew <laughs> no one had seen me. So I was like had this personal shame going on. But really since then, I've never felt like an outsider on the bike. I've always felt like I'm inside that kind of cycling click because it is a little bit of a click. Mm. But I've definitely felt like an outsider in the gym because you can go down to the gym, you can have these, you know, 200 kilo dudes who can bench press you know, half of the state of Texas probably. They're definitely not looking at you. They're looking at themselves. Yeah, no one cares. It takes yeah. you a while to realize this. Yeah. That people are so wrapped up in their own lives and their own goals and in their own insecurities and vulnerabilities that they just don't care about you. I agree. I think I think it's actually the opposite. I think people look at, let's say this, this guy you writes in, they look at him, he's out there and he's trying to change himself. He's out exercising. And I honestly think, when I see somebody like that, and I think most people do, they're like, well done, like getting after it. Like, I think that you are amazing for putting yourself out there. I do see the vulnerability part, particularly cycling when you're getting into Lycra. When we first started going out, we went on our first cycle together down in Kinsale. You handed me Lycra shorts and a Lycra jersey painted onto me. I was like, what kind of a pervert is this fella? <laughs> bringing me out in public like this and yeah you do you do feel very exposed I completely get that but I agree with your point Anthony I don't think anyone is judging you if if anything they're egging you on they're giving you the kid is horrible for beginners though it is it is kid is I, I don't know we don't have a name on this question I don't know if this is a male or female question but really regardless maybe it's extra exposed for a female but regardless the body paint kit is not essential. Like you don't need to look like every other cyclist to be a cyclist. But it's amazing how outside the click you will feel, which I actually don't think is a bad thing for when you're getting started, when you don't wear the cycling kit. Like I rode like two, three months ago up our local climb and I was just wearing like a pair of bib shorts, but I had like a dress short over it, no helmet yeah, and a pair of sunglasses. Riding, I think. But, yeah, I was going doing, up the hill. I, I can't remember yeah. why I was dressed like that, but nobody waved at me. Like yeah. I was still doing intervals at like 380 watts up the hill, but nobody waved at me. It was like I was outside of this little cult. But I actually don't think that's a bad thing for when you're getting started, that you're in your own little world and you're in your own little cult. So dress how you feel comfortable and don't feel that need to fit in with everyone else and, you know, wear the, the cycling uniform because... Look, it's not flattering on even the most athletic figures. Yeah, it's it's difficult enough to pull off. I mean, if you do want to wear it because it is quite comfortable, it's specifically made for cycling. So you don't get chafing and all of that, you know, saddle sores, good stuff like that. If you do want to wear it, just own it. You're gorgeous. You're gorgeous in your Lycra. <laughs> Sarah, to wrap up, I've been given what's now getting quite popular as a little My Woosh session of the week. And this is a session I actually done today, just before we started this, so I can attest to how difficult this is. It's If you go into My Woosh and you go into workouts, it's an anaerobic number one, it's called. And it's essentially four sets of 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. 
And it the on is at VO2 max power. It is a rough, rough session. It's a TSS 59 with an intensity factor of 0.82. So it's a lot of bang for the buck. If you don't know what any of that stuff means, it just means inside 58 minutes, you're working pretty damn hard for the 58 minutes. Jump over there. I'd highly encourage you to check that one out. And Sarah, it'll be going into your training plan. Oh, can't wait. Look forward to it. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll be back again for another Roadman podcast real soon.